0: As Thursdays usually are, yesterday was one of the biggest news days of the year. Lots happening on many fronts, and that's what we're here to talk about on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Chris Ranowski, and Jane Cahoon. Happy Friday, everybody. It's always a busy podcast on Friday.
1: Happy, Happy Friday. Friday. Right. <laughs> Yay. All,
0: right. All right, let's get to the news. What does a new Cleveland report say about how police handled the May 30th peaceful protest that devolved into a riot in downtown Cleveland? Chris Ranowski, this was a long time coming. Uh, The the way it came out was a bit more thorough than I had expected, although it does leave some questions unresolved. What's the general gist of this thing?
2: Uh, Yeah, there was a lot of detail in this. Um, A lot that we knew and a lot that we could see and you could sort of you could glean from the hours of video that Corey Schaefer managed to obtain uh in the weeks and months after the riot took place. Um but but this was you know something that the Cleveland Police Department does after major events. Um and and their analysis sort of tracked with what we we had sort of learned and, and understood about it in the in the in the reporting that we did after it, which was um, that there, there were a lot of issues on the ground that were mostly logistical from, from their perspective. But what, what this report did not deal with was, you know, it it didn't really talk about, you know, the use of force. It didn't, and, and they really did not, you know, scrutinize that sort of side of things that, that, you know, the, the sort of optics of, police shooting munitions into the crowd that which sort of riled people and got people angry about what happened down there some of the bigger things that they they discussed were you know some of the officers not being properly trained to use munitions you know how they're going to sort of deal with these issues and addressing these issues in in future incidents and 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 a lot of like miscommunication and strategic issues of where they put officers when they decided to call police officers in um, and, and, and how they, how they managed to staff the day. There are just, there seemed to be a lot of, of small um, planning and procedural issues that they, they overlooked or just, you know, didn't deal with until they were sort of in the thick of things. And, and that created a lot of problems on the ground and, and sort of, changed probably how they responded. I think one of the one of the things Chief Williams uh Chief Calvin Williams said in the press conference and and it, and it's sort of buried in this report is that you know one of their their bigger failures was assuming that you know people would not branch out and go to different places downtown. So, you know, you had small packs of people peel off and and go to places like Public Square and 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 really their focus was on the the front door of the justice center. And, you know, there, there were separate issues with the sheriff's office basically being underprepared because the sheriff's office, you know, has, you know, oversight of the justice center and that's, you know, that's their baby there. So, so, you know, but, but, you know, they, they really weren't, you know, digging deep into, you know, use of force issues. They said, you know, they only had eight complaints from citizens and, None of the Cleveland police officers injured anybody severely. Um, that doesn't mean people weren't hurt, but there were police officers that, and law enforcement from other agencies that were there um, who are being investigated for hurting uh, some protesters. But um, Cleveland police has basically said that it wasn't their officers. And, and so, you know, they don't really have to take responsibility for that.
0: Okay. couple of things. I mean, the idea that they had only deployed in two places and we hadn't realized they were at public square, but the justice center and public square it was a surprise. And that was one of their big takeaways. When something like this is going down, they need to be at all the high, high profile places in town because they can't get to them. But the other thing was we had a preview of this with the, the mayor and the police chief so that we could understand it and prepare the stories to, that we published about it so that they'd be fully informed. And as we finished that up, I, I said, hey, the, the, you know, what? where do you fall down then on this issue of did the police become overly aggressive too soon and spark the violence or did the people who came to, to commit violence spark the, the riot? And Even though this isn't addressed that specifically in the report, the mayor did sit back and say, okay, look, here's the thing. There were people in that crowd that came prepared to do mayhem. They brought the stuff to do the mayhem. They outnumbered our officers by 50 to 60 to one or more they're the people that caused the mayhem. You you he said I'm not there's no way I'm going to say the police caused the mayhem. The police were there to protect property and and this sparked it. And whether you agree or disagree with that, at least we got um a specific answer. I did I did get the feeling as I was reading the minute, you know, two thirds of this report is a minute by minute relation of what happened. I wish it had been sourced so we knew where they got all of that stuff. But but as I read it, it felt a little bit defensive. It felt like they were justifying what they were doing. But then when I got to the last third, where they were listing the areas where they found themselves to be deficient, there were a bunch. And it was it, it was true introspection and true action plans for dealing with it. I, I know, Chris, you don't think it's apples to apples, but but they do look at the way they handled the presidential debate we had in September as evidence that they learned lessons. I mean... They, I drove through town that night because I had to prepare some of the staff members to be out in it with the right gear. Uh, I was stunned at every intersection, under every bridge they were mobilized. There was no way anybody was going to cause mayhem on the night of that debate. They had some help from the feds, but it was Cleveland police and the suburban police that were all over Cleveland. I have a feeling that in the future... That'll be their game plan when there's I, any kind of big protest, they'll act like that. But but it's
2: but it's hard it's it's hard because, you know, if you look at the the fencing that they put around the the place where they had the uh the presidential debate, you know, they didn't put any of that up around the Justice Center. And they didn't put, you know, and I don't know that they have the resources to do that. You know, it was the same kind of fencing that they used to block off the safety zone during the Republic Republican National Convention. And it's just you know, when when something like this brews up very quickly, you can't assume that a city has time to prepare in the way that they do for something like a presidential debate. So, you know, I, I get it, I, you know, and, and and Williams, you know, said, we understand now that, you know, we, we have to plan differently ahead of this, you know, but but if you look at this report the intelligence they got from their intelligence gathering center, this, what do they call that thing? The, the fusion center, the fusion center. And, the, you know, the intelligence they got from that thing seemed kind of lame. You know, it looked like they were just kind of looking at the Facebook events for the thing. And, and, and assuming like a small amount of people were coming and, and, you know, and they said they were, you know, that they were paying attention to things that were going on elsewhere in the country. Cause this was happening in every major city. And, and then the sheriff's office said that they they didn't read some of the emails. I mean, it's it amazing. Yeah. yeah. It, they, they, know, it,
0: they, they, but they acknowledge. I mean, th- there was a full acknowledgement that that there th- there was a moment of reckoning when we talked to them where they said, look, the, the people that do this, they went dark. So they stepped up their game. They knew how we would monitor that. So we've got to step up our game. This They said, we're never going to say we've got a handle on this because it's a constantly changing set of strategies and they've and, just got to get better. And, at doing it. Which look, I what I was impressed by was this was not a report that came out and said, we're great, the bad guys are the bad guys, they did it all. There there was a true acknowledgment. They brought in somebody from the a retired guy or a veteran of the Ohio Highway Patrol for a 2-day exercise to try and identify each and every area where they had failures, I mean they, you know they didn't how to put on the equipment or they didn't how to load the the some of the munitions and I mean it was basic, simple stuff like that that they have to work on, but then overriding like you know if we put all our guys in one place and then we can't transport them, we really can't be where stuff goes south and you know i, I look that's what you want right you want right. a true post mortem that's not pointlessly self-defensive. I hope they, they now appear before the City Council Safety Committee so that there can be more questions asked. Of course, the Safety Committee has to hold the hearing, which the former head of, Matt Zone, wouldn't do. He had a police officer's son that just happened to be there. Anyway, um, let's uh, move. Oh, go well, ahead. Can
2: I just say two quick things? One thing that I don't think they addressed is, is this issue of escalation. And, and like, I understand that, that police officers felt like they were in danger, but, but, you know, and you're never going to get police really to admit that they, they, Maybe sort of overdid it with the chemicals and the, the things like well, that. Well,
0: but let me, let me stop because they yeah. they did address it. I mean, we yeah. they did address it. They don't believe they they argued that they they showed restraint because they let an hour go by before they started again. I'm not yeah. not saying that's true, but they did. You're saying they didn't address it. They're saying they they addressed it and they don't believe they went over the line. But anyway, which right. other point? Cause we're and then the other time. point
2: was is that that they noted in there that there were some officers who 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 weren't who did not hear the dispersal order. And then, the, but their claim is that they, that, that they made this dispersal order. They had a person in the back of the crowd who gave the thumbs up that they could hear it. And I think that's a little weird to sort of hang your hat on that as assuming that people in this loud crowd who aren't really listening for it, like it's fine if you're in the back of the crowd waiting to hear somebody give a dispersal order, But to assume, I mean, it was really loud down there and and, and, and they need like if if this is something that they're going to deal with in the future, they need to figure out a way to project that in a way, because I don't think they have enough cover to say that that was effective.
0: Was there a breach of the Justice Center by protesters on the night of the May 30th riot? Chris Renowski, we've talked about this before. Originally, Chief Williams said there was a breach. Then the sheriff came out and said there wasn't a breach. The report that was released yesterday makes things hazy. I don't think we're ever going to have an answer, but let's bring people up to date.
2: Right. And and if you watch the press conference, you saw Chief Calvin Williams make, you know, somebody asked him about it. And he said that, you know, he he relayed to the public the information that he had at the time, which is that at some point during the um the the riot somebody came over the radio and said that they uh, that the protesters had breached the the justice center and they were in there but thus far there hasn't been any real evidence i mean you haven't seen any surveillance video of it um you you know you you didn't see anybody get arrested for it you didn't i mean there there was really no evidence of it and so what you know we discussed this yesterday in and and part of it, I think, comes down to semantics. You know, w- one of the things that happened was people did break a window, and so if you if you define that at, alone as a breach, then yeah, they breached the the Justice Center. But but in my mind, breach means you're in there. It means you're you know, uh, uh, you're you but one know, one of you, the transcripts.
0: But one of the transcripts What's, of the radio traffic was that they're in here. But it, was, it wasn't somebody who saw it. He was relating what he'd been told by a sheriff. So it, And you're right. If somebody actually got in, you would think they'd be arrested. So that kind of put some credibility issues on there. But, but I, think, I think you nailed it. It's semantics. I think you're, it's all how you define it. And it was bedlam. And so I don't think we're ever going to know. But we should just wrap it up. So this week in the CLE... How likely are the Republicans in the Ohio legislature to override Governor Mike DeWine's veto of their bill to strip him of the power to issue health orders, which he has done regularly to battle the coronavirus? Jane Cahoon, this is a kind of a big moment for the Ohio legislature. Will they go with the conspiracy theory, mascading minority and, and stop the governor from the long held power to try and keep people safe? Or will they do the right thing? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm afraid I don't have the definitive answer on that, but it's very possible they will override it. Uh, you know, it would be a play to a certain base, as as you said. But with the way the virus is raging right now, the, the optics would be so bad, I think, uh, the way it would play to a majority of the public anyway. But uh, d- just for some background, d- DeWine vetoed the bill Thursday. It was Senate Bill 311. And it would ban the Ohio Department of Health from issuing mandatory quarantine orders enforced against people who are not diagnosed as sick or directly exposed to disease. Uh, It would not avoid existing statewide orders from DeWine's administration, including that curfew that we have in, in place right now or his mask mandate. But it would prohibit such orders from being issued in the future, and it would allow lawmakers to vote to rescind any existing health order. So it's a pretty sweeping bill. And DeWine called it a disaster and, and said he really had a moral obligation to to veto it given, you know, how coronavirus cases and deaths have have hit these record levels. And so he, he said it would hamstring his ability and the ability of future governors to respond to a number of crises from not only pandemics but biological weapon attacks and other things. But anyway, uh, Senate President Larry Abhoff said he, you know, he does have the votes if necessary and they're probably gonna meet on that next week. And and then in the House it, it seems a little more uncertain. The the bill originally passed along party lines 58 to 32, and they need uh, 60 votes for the override. However, uh, some of the House Republicans were not present for the original vote, including a name you might recognize, John Becker, who, as we know, is a vociferous opponent of all of DeWine's orders, and a couple of other guys who also have pushed back on, on some of these things. So you know, can they do it? I, I think if they want to muster the votes, they can. But you know, I think DeWine's talking to them. He said so in his briefing on Thursday that you know he's he's talking to them. So whether he's going to be able to reason with them on this uh, to come around to his way, at least hold off on this, or come up with some kind of compromise. I don't know what that would be. um,
0: Jane, the world's upside down. The majority of Ohioans are wearing masks and they're scared of the virus. The majority of Ohioans think the wine has done a great job. Why would these guys play to this tiny vocal minority that is, you know, screaming, give me, don't tread on me. And acting like this is some, Removal of their freedom. I, I just. I'm, I mean, I'm some stunned.
3: of them hold themselves out as, oh, we're pro-business and this is hurting business. And, you know, I, I don't. So let's I don't let know, people but die. Um, let's, let's increase yeah, right. the death rate.
0: Because right. and I just. I i I don't see how you can look yourself in the mirror if you do this. This is th- th- right. these powers that wine has they date back to nineteen eighteen <laughs> the The pandemic of nineteen eighteen it was decided that it's very important to be able to take the steps you know this is the the analogy people use is if I'm in a boat. You know, and I'm in a boat and I have a pickaxe. I can put a hole in the floor of my room because it's my room and nobody can tell me not to, even if everybody else drowns. That, that's the argument here. We shouldn't have health orders <laughs> because I okay. should be able to do whatever I want, even if it means infecting and getting all of the people in the state sick. Could I I add a
3: further, a further dose of snark on this? Maybe they won't have, maybe they won't have enough members show up for the override vote because they'll, they're still refusing to require masks in the, in the house. So maybe we'll have, you know, too many lawmakers sick by that time to, to show up to override.
0: We love Jane Cahoon snark. You're listening (laughs) this week in the CLE How many counties are purple on the coronavirus chart of Ohio and has our positivity rate on testing hit a new high, making us a state that other states warn their residents about? Laura Johnston, it's just getting worse and worse and worse with no end in sight.
1: It is. I'm not feeling good about Ohio right now. A record eight Ohio counties are on the highest level of purple. And yes, we are the people Mike DeWine warned us about. Uh, So we added five Northeast Ohio counties to purple yesterday. That's Medina, Portage, Richland, Stark, and Summit. And Cuyahoga is among three counties placed on the watch list for a possible move to purple next week. We can talk about that in a minute. But the others are near Columbus, Madison, and Fairfield counties. This purple alert comes with a warning. It says only leave home for supplies and services, but there are no mandates involved and plenty of people are not listening to this. So we met uh, those those counties met six of the seven measures to determine alert cases, uh, alert levels. That includes the number of new cases per capita, increases in visits to doctors and emergency rooms, hospital capacity levels, how many cases are originating outside congregate living facilities such as nursing homes. So, do you want me to give you the, the lowdown on why Cuyahoga maybe? Yeah, be? Yeah, the Cuyahoga purple? thing
0: is bogus, man. Throwing the flag. It doesn't make any sense with what they did to Franklin that they haven't made Cuyahoga purples. So, go ahead and explain how the state is playing, kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth.
1: They are. So Cuyahoga this week met six of those seven criteria, which put us on the purple watch list. But it turns out that retroactively, we should have met those six out of the seven criteria last week. But remember, they, they released these late on the day before Thanksgiving. And then they went back and they looked, and I guess we should have met six for the congregate, the spread outside the congregate care facilities as well. So really, they should have put us purple. And they did that two weeks ago with Franklin. All of a sudden, Franklin was purple. And we were like, wait, they were never on the purple watch list. But it turned out they had gone back and retroactively said they should have been on the purple watch list. So even though Rich Exner does has a great story up on com today that explains this, and Melanie Amato from the Department of Health said, we don't retroactively change things, but they just did. So I, I don't know.
0: I guess your school district where you are is paying attention to Rich Exeter, and that's why your 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 moniker today is Laura Mad About School. Your kids oh, are I home mad about until school. January.
1: They are home until January, and uh, yeah. So uh, this other bad news for Ohio that we're above this fifteen percent positivity rate. We're at fifteen point four percent. Yeah, we're like shaded yellow on this map of the the state, the country. And, you know, people talk bad about like so many southern states, but like Florida's at 8%. I don't know, Georgia wasn't that much higher. And it's like, okay, we look pretty bad. Like, There's like five or six states maybe that are
0: yellow. We're not going to get to probably most of the topics I had on the list today, but we should stick on this for a minute because, (laughs) and I'm sure Chris Warnowski will have something to say. We're we're (laughs) over 15, Pennsylvania's at 29, but every other adjoining state is lower, is not in the yellow zone, and other states have taken much more formal actions to curb this Does this mean that Ohio should start taking some harder actions, like shutting down the bars and restaurants and and moving? If the states around us don't have our positivity rate, should we be doing what they're doing? Is that pressure building on Mike DeWine to actually take action?
1: I mean... I think so, but like you just said, I'm mad about schools. I want them to <laughs> shut the bars so that my kids can go to school. I just I think telling people don't leave your house, but hey, everything's staying open. And um, as Chris Warnowski texted us all on Thanksgiving, uh showing some crowds around bars, there are plenty of people that are not listening to that. Stay at home unless you have to leave kind of mantra.
2: I wanna point out I was not out trolling for
1: <laughs> it was <from> Twitter for <laughs>
2: trouble bars. <laughs> I saw a photo of a bar on Twitter and I wasn't out narking on small businesses, but, but, you know, I I think to address your question, Chris, is that we've been doing this podcast for a while now. And when we started to slow open the state, you know, we were screaming at the time, like, this is, this is wrong. This is not the right way to do this. And we have no choice. You know, I mean, the federal government is not offering stimulus to people. They're not, Paying, You know, they're not reimbursing businesses. So they really put businesses in a really terrible position. They put, you know, open up, bring your employees back, put them at risk. And for what? I mean, here we are. I mean, anybody who says they're surprised by what's happening right now is a liar. They're, they're being very dishonest with themselves and with people because this was exactly what was going to happen. It, you know, Fauci said it was going to happen, but, you know, people have conspiracy theories about Fauci. So, you know, uh, apparently he's going to profit greatly from the vaccine. So right. of course he wants to, so, you know, I mean, we've got to stop elevating stupidity, ignorance, and anti-science rhetoric above, of above reason and smart ideas. And, okay. and, but, but, you know, I mean, but we haven't, we, you know, I mean, but they're, I mean, they're, they're trying to,
0: you know, ban mask
3: bans. And- okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I knew, I knew,
0: I knew Chris would knew but <laughs> I have something to say about this. We've got to move on. I'm trying to get two more in. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What was the Cleveland police finding on a review of a pursuit that ended late last year with the death of a 13 year old girl in East Cleveland? Chris Renowski, the, the, this is almost a year later that we're, we're getting this, but the police did do a pretty thorough review of their policies and procedures, what did they report to us?
2: Um, yeah, so the Cleveland Police released a, po- a report yesterday about the uh, the chase that led to the death of Tamia Chapman, who is a 13 year old girl who who died in this in this incident. Um, the department determined that the chase of the stolen vehicle a year ago and that ended in her death was conducted properly and within the department protocol. Uh, Calvin Williams said that we made sure the investigation was going to be thorough and comprehensive, and we did our due diligence. And um, it, to give people some background, um, the the chase involved a a vehicle that was stolen at gunpoint uh, from a 72 year old woman in the parking lot of the West 117th Target in Cleveland. Uh, an off duty officer spotted it happen and followed the car as it proceeded eastbound on I 90. And the uh, that off-duty officer, radio police dispatch, and a marked police cruiser uh, followed it. The The pursuit of the vehicle uh, uh, it started basically when the car got onto Eddie Road, and, and a marked uh, Mark car dispatched to the area, uh, turned on its lights and sirens, and the car fled. Uh, they followed the car into East Cleveland, where it hopped a curb uh, near the East Cleveland Library, and struck Tamiya. And, and, and the review sort of looked at, I mean, they, you're right, they did, they went back and they, you know, they, they traced the route several times. Uh, they did a lot of a, a lot of examination of it. Um, but, you know, basically, they determined that, that, you know, at the end of the day, they determined that, that the 15-year-olds who were charged in this carjacking were basically to blame and not the police.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the they did have a guy who put a gun to a woman's head in daylight in the Target parking lot on the loose. So you can understand there's law enforcement. They're going to want to get that guy stopped. Uh, it's just a it's a tragic kind of case. And, and I wish the review would have been done earlier, but it seems like they weren't pretty thoroughly.
2: I want to add one thing here, because there was a a, a question asked in really bad faith yesterday during the press conference by a reporter who I can't I I didn't hear what reporter asked it, but they asked if the city was ever going to ask the DOJ if they were going to allow police to do their jobs and properly and, and lift this chase policy that the police department has. And and it's a very dishonest way to ask that question, because the DOJ had nothing to do with the city of Cleveland's chase policy that went into effect in 2014 before the city entered into its consent decree. So I just, I wanted to correct that little bit of disinformation that was put out in the
0: world. Okay, good, good, good thought. You're listening to this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Let's end with vaccines. Did Ohio Governor Mike DeWine offer any kind of preview of what he intends to talk about today when he has his coronavirus vaccine briefing. Jane Coon, I was surprised to hear we were having another briefing because I (laughs) announced a new schedule this week of Monday, Thursday, but it's Monday, Thursday, Friday. I don't think we can get enough information about the vaccine. There's a lot of nervousness about it. There's a lot of concern about the honesty and the way they spread it around. What what do we know and what do we think we're going to find out?
3: Yeah, I think maybe uh, during Thursday's briefing, he just wasn't ready to roll all this stuff out. So he called a special briefing for today, and he basically said, I'm going to have more to tell you about exactly how this is uh, going to be not only distributed, but what the priorities are going to be. So that's what he said. We know already that Ohio is expecting to get its first shipment of vaccines sometime around December 15th, and uh, the first wave of doses are supposed to be given to high-risk healthcare workers and first responders. And, uh, he said Thursday that, that we're going to get a little more than 98,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine in the initial shipment. And, um, he couldn't provide details on, on future shipments yet, but he said he hopes to have more information on that today. And, um, we also already knew that the the vaccine's going to be administered at 10 sites throughout the state, including Metro health and Cleveland clinic. And, um, you know, he also talked about how he toured uh, the Ohio Department of Health Warehouse where they're doing these drills on packaging it and making sure it stays cold enough. And, you know, the National Guard is is helping with that. So, uh, but yeah, we should get more details today. Does anybody
0: else think it's interesting that university hospitals will not be giving out the vaccine? This is a vaccine that has to be in a deep freeze, and university hospitals has proven that it's kind of ineffective at keeping its freezers working. I was wondering why why not them? They're one of the three big hospital systems. Just just a thought. Um, it 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 will be interesting to see how transparent the the state government is in who gets this, you know, I mean, you just, you, you will hate to hear if some legislator gets to the front of the line for some bogus reason that, that you really are looking for an honest system where healthcare providers get it and police get it and firefighters get it. And then teachers get it. I, I just give that the government's involved. Uh, thank God county government's not involved, but the state government's involved. You just think that, you know, bad things can happen here, and we need to look no further than HB6 to <laughs> see evidence of that. Can,
2: can um, I can I say something here? I yeah, I I, I, I sincerely hope that retail workers, food servers, yeah, and, and all of these people that we're forcing to work during all of this stuff, absolutely, are, are, are way at the front of the line of this. Because you know, when we have the doctor, the the police, and you know, when we have that first front line thing, we tend to ignore those people that are working for you know, small wages, doing yeoman's work, making sure that people can get fed and stuff like that. Put them on that list and make sure that they're at the front of the line, too.
0: I Right. I that That's what we're looking for. And I hope that Mike DeWine addresses that in some way and talks about transparency. If we get a question at this thing, Jane, maybe we should go in that direction. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. That's it. Another week of podcasts in the can. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Jane. Thanks to everybody who listens to This Week in the CLE. We will be back on Monday.